standing for the reading of Scripture this morning. We return to the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 1 in verses 16 through 25. Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 16. Let us hear and attend to the word of God. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to put her, uh, make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Joseph, the husband of Mary, is recognized as part of the Christmas story and occasionally in the early life of Jesus. But then he fades from the public record only being mentioned in passing. I find that really interesting. It sort of captures my thoughts that here is someone of, of um, importance uh, who was uh, chosen like Mary, I mean really as a, a chosen servant of the Lord who had such an important role, it seems though limited, but we're not told a lot about him. Scripture doesn't give us much biographical information about Joseph. Historically, there are many extra-biblical man-made superstitions I hope you won't listen to those. But we are told that Joseph was a just man. And like Mary, he was a chosen servant of the Lord. That Joseph was a just man is about more than being a nice guy or fair-minded by human sentiments. Uh, it's interesting, in my um, uh, Bible, there's a marginal note in verse 19, uh, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. And if you look down at the marginal note, it says an upright man, and that's what literally it means to be just or upright. I think in some translations this is softened a little bit. And the idea sort of suggested to us is that, well, um, Joseph was fair-minded. Here he, he's faced with a, a really just overwhelming, uh, crushing assumption that Mary has been unfaithful to him during their time of uh, engagement and she is uh, expecting a baby by another man. And what can he conclude but that she's had found somebody else? She loves somebody else or something has happened. And so being fair-minded, uh, being a nice guy, he didn't really want to make her a public spectacle. He didn't feel vengeful. So that's sort of the idea that comes across. But there's more to it than that. I, I think it's something more deeply rooted. Uh, there's a compound meaning 
to Joseph being a just man, as we find this from the record of Scripture, not only about Joseph, but what it means for anyone to be justified before God. And so Scripture doesn't have the, uh, the um, sort of practice of just recognizing someone who's a, who's a nice person. That, that's not what Scripture's about, identifying nice people. And so Joseph is presented to us as a servant of the Lord. And this compound meaning of his being a just man, he is in a right, reconciled relationship with God. And that's what's true of Joseph is true of anyone who is in a right, reconciled relationship with God. What Job asked of old, how can a person be right with God? It's true for everyone. There is no exception. There is only one way to be right with God. And that's what's behind Joseph being a just man. He was first, by the predestinating purpose and foreknowledge of God, called and justified together with the hope and the promise of glorification. That's what Scripture reveals to us is true of every believer. We must be made right with God, God's way. That's what it means, that God is just, God is right, and He is the justifier. He is the righteous one who makes people righteous, His way. And so secondly, the outworking of this justification is also revealed to us in Scripture. It changes a person. It changes us from the inside out. And outwardly then, Joseph was a just man whose faith righteousness showed these attributes that are the fruit of the Spirit, that are the demonstration of God having changed someone's heart, has changed their whole personality in terms of being humble. Joseph shows humility of being kind. Joseph shows kindness. He's patient. He's trusting. He's obedient. And he perseveres in loving and serving God. Even though we're not told a lot about him, what we know about Joseph is that he is a believer, <laughs> one who has been made right with God and transformed. Joseph, the husband of Mary, is an example to us as Christian believers as well. For every generation, even though we don't know much about Joseph, in this most important epic, in his place, still we should recognize it that he stands out as a, an example for you and for me to live a life of faith and trusting the Lord and knowing who Jesus is as our Savior. So in this passage, there are five applications that I want to draw your attention to uh, that encourage us as Christian believers in faith, both by content and by action, in, in terms of what we believe and how we live because of what we believe. And the first one is in verse 16. We, we looked at this last week. Human servants are used by God, but often go without worldly acclaim. And Jacob begot Joseph. Jacob was uh, Joseph's father. This Joseph who was the husband of Mary. And I pointed out to you a significant grammatical change there about Mary uh, of whom was born, Jesus who was called Christ. And, and we talked about that a little bit last week. But we also pointed out that there are five women who are mentioned who goes against the custom of the time to list, list women in the, uh, the genealogy. And these people we don't know a whole lot about. Some of them we have more stories and information about than others. But the point that we should really understand is that people who serve the Lord, many of them go nameless. And if you ever feel nameless, or if you ever feel invisible, or somehow that you have been forgotten, you need to know that you have a new name in Christ. God knows your name. God gave you your name. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, rejoice in that. When, when his disciples were kind of overcome with the idea that the 
devils were subject to them and that there, there was power that God was using them. And Jesus said to them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. God never forgets your name. Jesus calls you by name. And so this Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, uh, is a faithful servant of the Lord, even though we don't know too much about him. Going on to verse 17, God's holy providence is trustworthy even if believers don't know all the details. I pointed out to you in verse 17, and so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now here, uh, Matthew is systematizing. And there are those who have tried to make an issue out of the differences in Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. They have a different purpose. And so we get all tied up in what we think are, is being exact and being perfect in knowledge and things like that. That's not what the genealogies are intended for. They are being used for a purpose. And so Matthew is systematizing the genealogies to give us an overarching view. He wants us to get the point, not that we can calculate every detail uh, of the genealogy. And we get oftentimes sideways by that. But this is what I want you to understand regarding God's holy providence and it being trustworthy, uh, even if we don't know all the details. We read the story of Joseph's faith in a few moments. We read these few passages of Scripture, and here the narrative covers several years, but we're reading it in just a few moments. If we read on about what happened about um, the shepherds and you know, the birth of Jesus, going to Bethlehem, and then uh, later whether they stayed in Bethlehem or went to return to Nazareth and the wise men finding them within a two-year time period there and then having to flee to Egypt because of Herod's uh, uh, attempt in wanting to, to murder Jesus and the, the uh, murderous rampage of um, Herod's uh, henchmen. We, we read all of that in just a few moments, but it covers several years for Joseph. And then, as I said, we maybe have a few passing mentions of Joseph uh, in the life, the childhood of Jesus. And then when Jesus begins his public ministry, there are a few references to Joseph uh, assuming that he's probably passed away. He probably died. We're not even given a record of his death or funeral or burial. We're told that he was, I know we often refer to it as a carpenter. This is Jesus, a carpenter's son. Joseph was, was we know who he was. Uh, you know, he was a carpenter. Uh, as for this man, we don't really even know who his father is, uh, casting aspersion on the, the uh, old story of Mary. And so we have these few references that cover the, the early couple of years, then childhood, and then coming to Jesus' public ministry when he's 30, and very little said about Joseph. But Joseph lived every day caring for Mary, caring for Jesus as a baby and a child. Joseph had the weight of following the Lord, of being called out and having to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem. Uh, as a builder in Nazareth, more so than just a carpenter, uh, the term that's used for, for Joseph is more of a builder, someone who worked with wood or stone or building, uh, someone who was a skilled craftsman. I like to reflect and think about Jesus growing up there. Uh, I like to think about when they would have to go out and harvest wood in the wilderness. When I think about Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted of the devil and kind of putting some of these pieces together about what it was like for Jesus to grow up. But what was it like for Joseph? 
to have the care of Mary and Jesus, and as I believe, also siblings, their own children born to uh, Joseph and Mary. So Joseph lived a life of faith day in and day out. Every day and every night, uh, Joseph was living, trusting, and following God. But we're not told about that. We're not given those details. And so as we read the story of Joseph's faith in a few moments, but the short scripture narrative covers several years and, and of Joseph's life, living faith day to day, as well as the many silent years. God knows and keeps us every day and every night. What you don't know about Joseph, God knows. What others don't know about you, God knows. And so I want you to take encouragement from that in terms of God's providential care, even when we don't know all the details. I think we're so used to having the supposed details at our fingertips. We're so used to having immediate uh, information. And one of the things that bothers me that that I'm concerned about for myself and I'm concerned for others is how valid is that immediate information that we're constantly plied with. How valid is it? But beloved, I want to tell you the Word of God is valid. The Word of God is true. And the Word of God tells us what we need to know. Are we prepared to really look into it? Are we prepared to really hear it? Are we prepared, like Joseph, to accept it? Even when it means hardships. In verse 18, miracles are supernatural signs and wonders by which divine power suspends, overrules, or transcends the limitations and laws of creation. So look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now that says it all. It's going to uh, be elaborated a little bit. But here we're told that the, the conception of Jesus was by a miracle. It was not by natural means. The virgin birth of Jesus is more than providential. This is where I think we need to be careful to be more precise about the difference between miracles and God's providence. Uh, God provides by natural means at times. Now, I don't know about Abraham and Sarah. God returned to them the time of childbearing after it was over physiologically when they were in their old age. So there had to be divine intervention. God did intervene and restore their, their physical capabilities. So there was a miracle in that, but then Isaac was born by natural means to an earthly father and an earthly mother, and he represented the son of promise because God gave a promise, and then God did something that was beyond human ability in Isaac being born. And, And what about the Magi following the star? There's a lot of speculation about what was that star. Was it an angel? I know in popular uh, stories and, and imagination, uh, the, the uh, star is really an angel. But that's not what we're told in Scripture. We're told that it was a star. Could it have been a confluence of, of uh, planets? Could it be an, an alignment that God used in providential time and purpose to guide the astrologers, the magi? It could have been. Could it have been a supernatural supernova? <laughs> I don't know what that is. But anyway... Uh, Could it have been something that God did supernaturally that was not a a natural phenomenon? Well, the Bible uses the term for a natural phenomenon, a star. So I don't really know, but I know that they were providentially led to find 
the baby Jesus or the child Jesus. There seems to have been a time frame difference. I'm not even sure that they were still in Bethlehem at the time. That's another story. That's another uh, study that's very useful and important. We know that God communicated with them. They did not return to Herod. We know Herod in his maniacal hatred and his war against God. And it had to, some, had to be to some degree self-conscious because he was told from the Holy Scriptures. So when he was given information from the Holy Scriptures, what did he do? He thought he could fight against God. And he sent his henchmen to massacre the male children two years and younger in Bethlehem. How horrific. But God beforehand had sent Joseph to take Mary and the baby Jesus or the child Jesus into Egypt. Again, fulfilling prophecy. But there is a difference between miracle and providence. You know, when Joseph was told to take Mary and the child Jesus to Egypt, he had to uproot. He had to just pick up and leave. Uh, I've had some discussions with you all, and I've often thought too that the gifts of the Magi probably funded their escape. I don't know how much Joseph was able to save up and how long he had been working, you know, before this happened. But now he has, on a moment's notice, he has to uproot and take them for safety. And God provided providentially for them. You know, did he work with his hands along the way? How did they travel? How did they provide for themselves? Did they stay with relatives? Were they trying to be secretive so they couldn't track down Jesus? So they had to go uh, the long route uh, off the um, open pathway so nobody could report back to Herod and say, oh, we saw them going this way. I don't know. Those details are not given to us. But what we are told is that God provided providentially for them. God did not send uh, a heavenly chariot for them to hop on and fly down to Egypt. They didn't have frequent chariot miles. And so, you know, they had to go the hard route. Joseph, can you imagine? Here he's told that he's the earthly guardian of the chosen vessel of the Lord, Mary, and of the Christ child, the Messiah himself. He embraces that by faith. He accepts his name Jesus. He is the Savior. Do you think that lessened the worry, the concern, the, the, the care, the protection? He still had to provide them food. He still had to provide them clothes. He still had to, to care for them day and night. He still had to watch over them. He was a father and a husband. That, none of that's taken away. He was a man who faithfully believed and followed the Lord through some hard stuff. And so we need to appreciate and recognize the providence of God, uh, but also how it is that God presents to us the miracles, like the miracle of the virgin birth, and that Jesus is identified by his name and title, Jesus Christ. If you look again at verse 18, uh, This is the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew repeatedly identifies for us that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I've told you before that that's a name and a title that's very important. We tend to read it, and we tend to kind of read it like uh, we read uh, about people we know, their first and last name. Uh, Oh, that we're reading about someone who's a friend of ours, first and last name. That's not what Matthew is writing here. Matthew is saying Jesus is the Savior, and he is the Christ, he's the anointed one, he is the Messiah. So that's what the name and the title literally mean. The Savior who is the anointed one. It wasn't his first and last name. (laughs) 
And so he is identified, Matthew identifies him for us repeatedly, and this was revealed to Joseph. This is who this child is. This is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ of God. And so as we consider the miracle of uh, the supernatural wonder that was revealed to Joseph, Joseph, this is what is going on. That this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mary was not unfaithful to you, but she has received the child that has come from God, and that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, the, the Jesus, the Savior. And so, the two most important miracles. Now, think about that. For, what would you say are the two most important miracles in the Bible? The first miracle that we know is Jesus turning water into wine. What was the last miracle of Jesus? Do you know that? Maybe it was putting the ear back on the uh, the servant that uh, Peter had sliced his ear off. That 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 may have been his last miracle. I'm not sure. I don't even know myself thinking about it right now. But I'll tell you, I know what the two most important miracles in all of Holy Scripture are. The two most important miracles in all of Holy Scripture are the incarnation and virgin birth. They go together. God come in the flesh. God condescending. God come down to us. That's a miracle. The incarnation, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead by the power of God. He is God. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it back up again. God resurrected Jesus from the dead that we might know that our salvation is secure. And those two greatest miracles in all the Bible, the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, connect the same divine power for the new birth. Do you know what we are as Christian believers? We have been resurrected from the death of our sin, and we have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a new person as a Christian. So you see, the same divine power of the incarnation and of the resurrection come together in the new birth, in regeneration, raising us from the deadness of sin and birthing us spiritually from above. By, whom, by which we are adopted into the family of God. That's a powerful, powerful thing to spend time thinking about and rejoicing over. Well, that brings us to verses 19 through 21. Divine revelation in God's way is God's way of informing and transforming, and so it unites miracle and providence. We're talking about miracles and providence. Is there just a real clear-cut line between them? Sometimes not. And so... You are a miracle if you're born again. Yeah, the power, the supernatural power of God has affected change beyond what humanly is possible. That's a miracle. The divine power of God. But then there's also providence in our lives to live by faith. You know what I find absolutely astounding is that Peter, who witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus, he writes and says, Scripture is more certain to us than that experience of seeing the transfiguration of Jesus. Scripture records that for us so that we too who were not there can share it. 
And Peter's saying, you're not losing out on anything. Scripture is even more sure than having those kinds of fantastic experiences. And I want to share them with you, but tell you that God's word is trustworthy. And so look at verses 19 through 21. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, remember, Savior, for he will save his people from their sins." So God's divine revelation, and we have the revelation of God given to us, all that God wants us to know in the Bible. We have recorded here what was said to Joseph by the angel sent from God. And so divine revelation is God's way of informing and transforming and so uniting miracle and providence. We have the wonderful things revealed to us (laughs) that had been kept secret. Nobody else knew about this. Till the Holy Spirit of God allowed Joseph or whoever Joseph shared it with to put it in Holy Scripture for all of us. So Holy Scripture informs us what is godly and what is ungodly. Here the message from God told Joseph, no, Mary has not been unfaithful. She hasn't been ungodly. Not all dreams are divine revelations. We need to be careful about that. How many times people want to reference and and claim their dreams, dreams that go contrary to what the Word of God says. Look, God does not contradict Himself. You know that. And so sometimes dreams are used by God to validate what His Word tells us. In this instance, we have recorded for us that God used a dream, as in other places in Scripture. But it's made known. It's validated for us. We're not left wondering. So all dreams are not from God. The world tells you to follow your dreams. I'm going to tell you, follow God and His Word. You better make sure that your dreams align with God's Word. And if they don't, you need to do away with your dreams. They're just dreams. So let's be careful about that. So the transforming power of the Word of God. What is that for? Why do we have this Word of God preserved and given to us? Why am I preaching to you this morning uh, over many, many years, week in and week out, coming to hear the preaching of the Word of God? Why do we do that? Because the Word of God is a transforming power. It's not the Word of men. I'm not here to try to give you advice on making you a better you or giving you a better life. I'm here to talk to you about the transforming power of God that gives you a promised eternity. Look, when you leave today, life is going to go on. Tomorrow you're going to have this, even though it's Christmas Eve, maybe you'll have the day off. You're still going to face challenges. Why has it become stereotypical to reflect upon holidays as some of the most um, dysfunctional times? And the, the constant berating jokes about family dysfunctionality over holidays. Because it's true. You know why it's true? And it's really not funny. Because of sin. Sometimes we laugh at them. I saw one that said, at Thanksgiving family, at Thanksgiving family gathering, I'm going to talk about politics. That way I won't have to buy any Christmas presents. Because people are constantly in conflict with one another. 
rather than loving one another, rather than letting stuff of the world go away. Why do we not love one another? Why do we not rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Why don't we come together to pray and sing at, at holiday season like, like Christmas? It should be about our Savior's coming into the world in the Advent. And we try to capture that often. And oftentimes we're with uh, family members who are not believers or at least who are very misguided. And they're not founded in Scripture. And that's why I'm telling you that the Word of God is transforming. That's why coming to hear the preaching of the Word keeps you. Whether you remember the sermon or not, I really don't worry about that. I don't stay up at night wondering now, now are people going to remember my outline? Are they going to remember? No, you know what I hope? is that you will go away saying, the Lord is good to me. I, I, I hear the things of God. My heart is lighter. My, my mind is more settled. I am fuller of gratitude. The work of the Spirit in transforming us by the Word of God. Who cares if you remember the title of the sermon? I don't even remember the title of the sermon. <laughs> I regularly have to look in the bulletin to make sure what scriptures I'm supposed to read. Oh, what am I supposed to read this morning? <laughs> but it's been working on me all week. See, I'm not ashamed to tell you that. You know why? Because it's not with these little um, gimmicks of, of having everything in its place and having everything detailed and, and labeled. I've been laboring in the Word and prayer all week. Man, I've been meditating on Psalm 89 all week. It's, it's got under my skin. I've been thinking about Joseph for weeks. My, my imagination goes crazy. Man, how did Joseph do that? What would Joseph... I don't understand. What, what did he feel like? So, the Word of God is transforming. You see, God shares some of His holy secrets that reveal the collective hope for all Christian believers. God shared His holy secret here when He sent an angel to talk to Joseph. I don't need an angel to come talk to me. I have the Word of God telling me that He did that for Joseph. That helps me. God shares some of His holy secrets. When, when Matthew was writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, I don't know who told him these stories. Maybe Mary it seems like there was firsthand information from Mary to Matthew and perhaps to Luke because of the details that are there. Maybe Jesus' uh, earthly siblings, Joseph and Mary's natural children, they grew up with Jesus. They even followed him. I believe that James, one of his apostles, was his earthly brother, a, a child of Joseph and Mary. That's what I believe. James, the brother of Jesus. But God used firsthand witnesses through the Holy Spirit to give this scripture to you and me and to billions of other Christians over the ages who have read these self-same secrets of God that God let them know. He didn't keep it secret. So God reveals some of His holy secrets to us for the collective hope of all Christian believers to treasure and to keep. And by faith they become a help to convince us Convince us of this thing, and I do want you to take this with you this morning, to convince us that God the Father is trustworthy in the unknown things that trouble us in life. He's shown us and revealed and trusted us with some of His secrets. 
And by doing that, he's telling you, my child, you can trust me in what you don't know. Did Joseph know that he was going to have to take Mary to Bethlehem? That could not have been a fun trip. I I know, I, I don't want to minimize Mary's discomfort being great with child and delivering there in Bethlehem when there was no room in the inn. Poor Joseph. I can't can't help but tell you, I saw a cartoon that had Joseph and Mary standing there and Mary standing there with a a big belly and she has her hands on her hips and she's saying at this closed door to Joseph, so you didn't make reservations? (laughs) Poor Joseph. He gets looked over. I mean, how hard would it have been on him? He's got to take Mary into the stable with all the animals. Come on. He's a fair-minded. He's a, a nice guy. No, more than that. He's a justified child of God who loves Mary and has received the message of the angel of God to treasure her as his wife. And the Christ child is going to be born to her. And he's in a stinking barn. I think that just crushed his ego. How am I going to provide? I can't give her anything but a stinking barn. No, I I think that was hard. See, I think we can think some things about Joseph as a a godly man. He loved Mary and he cared about her. And God called him to some hard things. I don't have time to go on speculating and giving vent to my imagination. You You get the taste of it, I think. And so, see, God is trustworthy even in the unknown things. Who would have expected these this caravan of Persian astrologers laden with gifts, obviously not from around here, from the way they dressed, showing up at the doorstep. Oh, we've come seeking Jesus, the King of the Jews. We've seen his star. We talked to Herod. The the scribes told us where to find you. And the star led us. And we have the gifts for the king. Can't help it. All I can figure is that Joseph is standing there with his mouth agape. Did he know that was going to happen? Well, that was probably a short-lived wonder. (laughs) Gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I probably won't ever have to work anymore. Joseph, take Mary, your wife, and the young child and flee to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill them. What am I going to do? How do I get to Egypt? Anyway, God is saying through them to us that he's trustworthy in the unknown things. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) Sometimes I want to say to you, turn the radio and the TV off and stop listening to the world. I know we can't bury our head in the sand But shouldn't you listen to God first? Jesus said, every day has enough trouble of its own. You don't need to borrow any future trouble. Well, today has been a pretty common, easygoing day. I think I'll borrow some trouble from the future. No, every day has its own trouble. There's plenty of it to go around. Do you trust God in the unknown things? That's what this is about. God is trustworthy for what we know and what we don't know. 
So we go on to verses 22 through 23. This is the last of those observations and applications that prophetic fulfillment validates biblical claims and is not intended for telling the future. See, this goes right along with trusting God. The Lord didn't ever tell us that we could tell the future. And somewhere, this whole prophecy-mongering thing took on a left turn that we can tell the future. So look at verses 22 through 23. Behold, this is the scripture from Isaiah. The Lord spoke this through the prophet. And this is what is referenced to Joseph. What is made valid is the word of God. Joseph, this is in Isaiah the prophet. This is in the word of God. You've probably heard it growing up your whole life from the scroll of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph, this is happening now. This is the fulfillment of that scripture. This is not explained away by the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the promise of God that comes about by God's way and that means God with us. It doesn't mean anything else. It means exactly what it says. So prophetic fulfillment validates biblical claims and is not intended for telling the future. Scripture interprets Scripture. Here we have the reference to Isaiah quoted in Matthew in fulfillment through the incarnation and the virgin birth of Jesus. It makes it very clear we're not talking about a young woman who becomes a mother at a young age, a maiden of the Lord. Mary referred to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord. But Scripture says that she conceived the holy incarnate Son of God not by natural means of conception and birth because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. And Joseph kept her protected until after the child was born before they came together as husband and wife. You get that. It's very plain. But there are those who constantly want to explode that and turn it upside down and denigrate it. They want to make it nasty. They want to turn it inside out in a way to deny what is very plainly said here. You know why there's so much energy that goes into trying to deny the virgin birth? Because it is so absolutely confirmed in Scripture and witnessed in our conscience as necessary. Because humans can't save humans. You can't save you. I can't save you. You can't save me. The ones you love the most, you can't save. Only God saves. It's divine salvation. It's supernatural salvation. It is salvation by the will of God. God's way. And that humbles us. That crushes us in the dust, to be honest with you. And so the world hates it. The world hates the witness of this. And they try to denigrate and reject it. So scripture and prophetic fulfillment have the same purpose. Revealing and demonstrating that God is with us. Now, being savingly united to Jesus Christ by faith is a supernatural mystery. Of course we can't explain it because it's a work of God and God doesn't tell us everything about it. He tells us enough that we can say it is a supernatural mystery. It's something that is revealed that only God can do and makes every Christian believer a witness of God's presence in the world, being a part of the grand masterpiece. Hear the wonder of Jesus come into the world, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, coming through miraculous means of the virgin birth so that he did not inherit a sin nature like you and I do from original 
fall by Adam and Eve. So Jesus did not have a father from Adam. Though Mary was a real human being, and and Mary was the chosen vessel by which the Lord Jesus in his human nature was united, the divine and the, the human united together and was born Jesus, the Savior, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we as Christian believers are witness of God's presence. Do you know by the indwelling Holy Spirit, God is with you? Do you know by the indwelling Holy Spirit, God is with us? Emmanuel is here. I'm not divine, you're not divine, but we have received of the Holy Spirit in a supernatural transformation and we are a part of something more and greater than just ourselves. Do you ever think about anything other than yourself? You know, in our Christian life, we we run a risk. We think our Christian life is just about ourselves. God is just for me. God is just a genie in the the bottle. God is here to give me all my wants and desires. God is here to be my protector. God is here to lead me on the way. That nothing befall me. That no trouble happen to me. that, That I have an easy life and that I go to heaven. That is not the Christian life. That is not why God says He has redeemed you and left you here on earth to be a witness to the grand masterpiece. Through many trials and tribulations you will enter the kingdom of God. Why? To witness that God is faithful. When you're broken down and have nothing, when you don't know which way you're going to turn, when you don't know what you're going to do next, God says, I am with you. I am directing you. You will be a witness to me of my presence in the world is greater than the troubles that you are facing. See, that's the message of Advent. Read the story of Jesus. He trusted God in every way and direction for his life. He trusted God the Father. Trust is the greatest expression of love. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior in life and death. Emmanuel, we witness to God's presence through faith and perseverance not through being immune to the hardships and the troubles, the hurts and death itself. The just shall live by faith. You see, the grand masterpiece is the salvation of the world. We live by faith that God is saving the world of His creation. He's saving it His way. Joseph, husband of Mary, was a justified believer. He wasn't just a nice guy. He was right with God, God's way. Joseph, husband of Mary, was a faithful believer. Man, the guy had some hard things to live through. And he's hardly mentioned to us. Rarely celebrated. I'm sure Joseph doesn't care. I don't know if I could speculate a little further. At the end of it all, at the end of his life, we don't know when that came, seems to be before the public ministry of Jesus. But I really have a sense that Joseph just sighed relief and said, man, it's over. There's something better. <laughs> now think about that. All that had been revealed to Joseph, Joseph serving the Lord. Joseph knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, the God-man. 
the incarnate God, and that he had been given custodial care as a foster father to help raise Jesus. He took him to synagogue. I believe that Joseph taught him the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I know. <laughs> I know. It's my heavenly father. Can you think of Jesus being trained and taught and telling his own parents? I know about that. I mean, that's what he did in the temple. He told the doctors of law. I know what you're talking about. How do you know all this? How does this kid know all this stuff? And I just, after all Joseph went through, I think it was a relief. I think also about what was said to Mary when they brought Jesus, the baby Jesus, to the temple after the time of her purification. And when it was said to Mary that a, a, a sword will pierce your heart also, that the thoughts of many will be revealed. And so that Mary's heart, can you imagine Mary's heart? particularly at the crucifixion. Joseph was spared that. So I think it's just amazing that Joseph, as a faithful man of God, served the Lord and God didn't forget him. Even though we may not know much more about him, God didn't forget him. And so Joseph, the husband of Mary, was a believer even in Jesus who saved sinners because Joseph had to be saved and forgiven for his sins. So like all justified believers in Jesus Christ, all Christian believers in heaven and on earth, like Matthew who wrote this, like you and me gathered here this morning to hear it, we confess one name for salvation, and that's what we celebrate. The name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Our concluding hymn.